Uh, we're going to be reading shortly from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, if, if you're married, you've probably maybe used this passage uh, in your marriage. I'm going to slightly take a different twist on it. And here begins, how many weeks? Six weeks? Six weeks of love. <laughs> oh, I'm trying very hard here. Uh, six weeks of exploring love and what, in fact, God's love is. Um, Rachel's really worried about six weeks of love. Uh, Rachel's my wife, by the way, for those, just to provide some context. Uh, six whole weeks, babe. Uh, 25 years of marriage, six weeks of love. Let's see how that works for us. Um, six weeks of love as we explore what God's love is and explore really what Paul's trying to convey to us about what true love really is and means. And in fact, he starts us off by helping us understand that uh, without love at the heart, if we don't really grasp this thing called love at the heart and the center of uh, who we are as, as his people, and in fact, we're just empty, empty people. We'll just explore this a little bit this morning, but uh, we're just kind of empty. It could look great on the surface, but be really empty inside. Um, we, can, we could look fabulous. Uh, some of you look fabulous, some of us a bit less so, but if we don't look... Uh, we could look however we look, but without love on the inside, in fact, we're nothing. Churches can look fabulous, but without love on the inside, at the center, they're just noisy pointlessness uh, or empty. Um, and in fact, communities that have no love kind of are pointless, aren't they? Well, not pointless, but just they're empty. There's a lot going on, but perhaps empty. So let's explore what this is. Um, this morning, we're going to introduce some ideas, uh, and then in following weeks, um, different speakers over the following weeks will really try to tease these out for us as we go a little bit deeper. Um, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 13, a little bit of a paraphrase, and then the proper Bible uh, will kick in at verse 4. Paul is telling the church in Corinth this. Uh, basically, it goes like this. You can be the most awesome people on the outside. Uh, you can speak in tongues if you want to. You can have prophecies going on. There can be healings and people falling on the floor. Uh, there can be the most expressive, expansive worship. You could be jumping around and cartwheeling in the aisles. But if you do not have love, you are nothing more than a clanging symbol, an empty vessel. You could give everything you own, every single pound that you own to the poor. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can give yourself to the flames. At the time, they were being martyred in their churches. They were dying for their faith. You could be really, uh, you could be martyred for your faith. But if you do it without love, it is pointless. Verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Emphasis not mine, always. So here we see right at the outset some things that love is and some things that love isn't and some things that love always kind of is. Love is patient. It is kind. We'll, we'll explore that in the next couple of weeks. It is not envious, doesn't boast, isn't proud, isn't self-seeking, isn't rude, isn't easily angered or jangly, keeps no records of wrong, doesn't delight in evil, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I know these are just words, but if we dwell on these for a few weeks here, we'll start to really understand who God is. God is patient. He is kind. He doesn't envy and so on. Who we are in him, hopefully, 
anyway. We are patient, we are kind, we do not envy, and so on. And in fact, as the community of believers, uh, God's vision really for us, he wants us to be people as a community who are patient and kind and not envious and not boastful or proud and so on, who always protect, always trust, always hope and always persevere. (sighs) Take a deep breath. There's a real sense of passion in this passage. I'm trying to convey not very well, but it's just that like God is like this. He wants us to be like this as his people. And in fact, in the community in which he's placed us, love right at the center. Uh, Without it, in fact, we can be known for things, but perhaps not the right things. Uh, So let's tease this out. There's three ways I'd love us to think about this this morning, um, which goes like this. The first idea here, and um, there's a few rhetorical, as in back in my own direction ideas, is this. I think God would say to us this morning uh, that some of us, you know, need our hearts to melt because perhaps we have become a little hard-hearted. And I say that not just to us, because this is the story of faith for about, well, 10,000 years, right back to the very, very beginning. You think um, right back to the sort of Cain and Abel, um, depending on your perspective of that particular narrative, arguably the sort of second and third or fourth people that ever existed, um, one of whom murdered the other. Our hearts get hard really easily uh, if we're not careful. What's a hard heart? Well, let's think about this. So Um, What God is all about is life and life in its fullness. And the classic Christian story is about Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, And, you know, sometimes I think we dwell far much more on the stony stone than we do on the life that came out of that that tomb. We can get very toomy, again, not an English word, with no apology for the bad grammar. We get very wrapped in the tomb stuff, uh, and in fact, not in the life stuff. And our faith is living and active because Jesus is living and active and the Holy Spirit is living and active and love is living and active. There's life in love. In fact, love is life. Life is love. Um, And if we're not careful, we miss the new birth of this, the, the constant sense of the stone being rolled away and new life being born. What is a hard heart? Symptoms of a hard heart, again, throughout the Bible. In fact, we get some clues here. But in essence, it is resisting and rejecting God uh, and kind of getting a bit hard about it. Do you know people who are hard? Don't, don't tell me yet. If you want to tell me privately, please do. Um, but you might know people who are a little hard-hearted. I encounter a few sometimes in my work. Um, and they, you sort of know they're hard, just Hard work and hard. Um, They tend not to be open. They tend to be a little combative, um, as in they resist people. Um, Maybe a bit, well, let's have a look. Maybe they're a little bit rude or boastful. Perhaps they're a little bit proud and self-seeking. And it's easy sometimes to think they are like that. You're thinking of one or two people. Have you got one or two people in mind, maybe? If you don't, you're very lucky. You might think of one or two people. But what God says to us here is, you know, we are at risk of having the same sort of hard-heartedness if we're not careful. And love banishes that stuff. Uh, So when he says things to us like, "Um, do you know what, I really think it'd be great if you take such and such out for coffee, because he does that, you know. God sort of prompts us in those directions. We're like, no, thanks. I've got better things to do. There's just the beginnings of hard-heartedness perhaps. Or you might say, look, there's somebody over there who's wronged you. You might need to forgive them. We're like, oh, I'd rather not. A bit of hard-heartedness might be creeping in. 
Um, or if you have been treated poorly, because sometimes we're treated poorly, you know, it does happen. Uh, maybe you're waiting for that moment where the truth is revealed. Uh, do you have those little minor fantasies? Oh, just, just me, oh dear. Uh, where I just think, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great if one day there was this Guernsey Press article that tells the whole community about how terrible that person is and what they did and how bad they are, boo them. Uh, and if that sort of stuff starts to eat us up, in fact, we begin to get hard-hearted if we're not careful. Uh, the story of the people of God, tragically, in fact, is hard-heartedness, not soft-heartedness. Uh, hearts that sort of resist him rather than people that embrace him. Um, that re- rejecting what he's got for his people rather than saying, actually, uh, whatever you want, Lord, let it be so. Um, has anybody been to the Canary Islands? Or I was about to say recently. <laughs> Within the last three years? <laughs> Canaries? Ish, yeah. I love the Canaries. They're really warm. I like warm. They're a little bit warmer than normal at the minute. If you know what's happening in the Canaries, there's a volcano going off. So um, somewhere in the summer, I kind of had this little fantasy that, um, you know, COVID, we might be okay with COVID. We might spend half term in the Canary Islands. Um, But in fact, with, with La Palma literally erupting, I kind of thought it's better for our health and well-being to maybe not go to the Canaries. But in fact, it's a little image there of how um, even the hardest rocks can melt uh, in the heat. That's the image I'm trying to create for you there, that there are literally like bus-sized rocks melting and flowing downstream. Um, God's love is like that. He has ways of, like sometimes a volcano, melting the hard, stony hearts of his people. Uh, What does he say about faith? If you have faith to move mountains, uh, let them move. Well, here's another little twist on that, because I think without love, we can move a mountain and sort of potentially plonk it on someone's head. Uh, What God's sort of saying is mountains that move, in fact, in love are for other people's benefit. If you're feeling hard-hearted this morning, perhaps like a volcano, he wants to melt that. Just melt that hard-heartedness. And with no apology for the fairly biblical word repent, melting comes when we repent, when we turn to him. Rather than turning away, let him melt your heart. And if that means a volcanic eruption, let it be so. If it's something more gentle, let it be so. But at the heart of love is this melted heart. There's another image that I quite enjoy in the Bible. From, um, in fact, quite a, I don't think I've ever mentioned him before in a few years of preaching. There's a chap called Zephaniah, um, who's a um, prophet, Old Testament prophet, and I mean, he's a classic Old Testament prophet. He is a bit like turn, and, turn or burn um, in the Old Testament. But he's got a lovely little phrase about uh, wine. Has anybody had the sort of wine where you've poured it and you think, what is that floating at the bottom of my wine? Like, what is that in there? It, that doesn't even look like cork. In fact, can it float at the bottom? It's sunk to the bottom. Like, ugh, not drinking that. Well, there's a thing about wine that this chap called Zephaniah talks quite a lot about in the context of hard-heartiness. See how he read wine and hearts? He says this, um, God is going to challenge the complacent like wine settled on its dregs. He will stir it up and remove what's bitter. You know, and sometimes we can get settled, like too settled, And a red wine that's settled too much actually tastes bad. Nearly used a different word. It just tastes bad. If if the dregs settle, they turn what could be a beautiful Shiraz into something that tastes 
bitter and harsh. And as people, we're not much different to wine. If we settle and get complacent, um, the, the passage in Zephaniah goes on where the people are just saying it doesn't really matter what God does. He might do something. He might not do something. Kind of not bothered. Again, my paraphrase. We miss what God's doing that is life-giving. And in fact, we run the risk of becoming bitter and harsh like a terrible red wine. Uh, we need to be stirred up. There's a great analogy about uh, stirring up the vats of red wine, and sometimes great wine makers uh, they pour red wine out of one vat into another and scrape off the junk from the top. Uh, and again, that's all about softening the wine, and in fact, softening our hearts too. This morning, God, I think, is saying partly here, look, if you're embracing a life of love, which of course he wants us to do, if you're embracing him who is love, that our hearts need to melt. It needs to melt our hearts. Or if you prefer a wine analogy, remove the dregs from the wine. We all have a few. Melt our hearts, God. That's part one. Two more points to come. Uh, The second is this, uh, as we're exploring this idea of what love is. uh, There's a real sense, I think, of genuine love. Creates uh, like an inner, not not an external, an inner sense of peace. And I've used the word jangly a little. People are a little jangly at the moment in the, in the island. It's a word that came, um, didn't come to me. as a lady that uh, I'm trying to help a little, uh, who is jangly. And she used the word jangly. And she, she's, I mean, she literally, when we, when we meet, she's shaking because she's so jangly. Uh, things like so there's pressure and stress, jangly lady. Um, and if, thankfully, she used the word not me. But uh, what she needs and we're trying to work on together is a bit of inner calm and peace. So that she's not doing, 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 jangly. But in fact, she's calm, money supermarket, calm, calm. Um, and in fact, in her case, that's going to take a little bit of practice because she is so sensitive to external input. Um, sometimes it's a person or people or an email or something. She's so like sensitive, she gets a bit jangly. And as, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about her. And in fact, thinking about what love really is. Now, in the ancient Greek, (laughs) did you ever expect me to be talking about ancient Greek? In the ancient Greek, there are four words for love. Uh, The first is eros. What might that mean? Come on, people. Oh, that's a very nice way to put it, romantic love. Sexy love, Uh uh-huh. Um, So there's a whole other talk that uh, might not come this morning that goes like this. Christians are the sexiest people in the world. Do you want to hear that talk? Yeah, come to fast. Well, yes, Rachel, great. Um, <laughs> fabulous. Um, so Eros is all about erotic love um, and like love, love, love. Um, and in fact, the communities in which a lot of the Bible was written, certainly the New Testament, were immersed in um, probably a faulty approach to erotic love. There was a lot of false worship and a lot of prostitution. Um, that is not, that is not what God is suggesting here. Uh, not, that he's, not that he's against Sexy love. Just got to be in the right place. Uh, the second word is uh, philia, which is a kind of brotherly affection. And that kind of we're working in partnership. In fact, I've experienced this or observed it. I haven't experienced this. I've observed this around Sandhurst um, in the British Army, where you get that kind of brothers in arms idea. We're in this together. There's a real sense of togetherness. And sometimes, in fact, to the point of not doing what they're asked to do because we're brothers in arms together, like really close bonds. Um, and should they, in fact, be 
that often people in battle, if they survive the battle, they end up being lifelong connected friends, like till, till the day they die. Um, the third word is storage or storage. I am not a Greek speaker. Uh, storage, which is that family love. I love you because you're my daughter or my son or my granny or my whomever. There's a slightly different take on that. And again, none of those three are what um, Paul is bringing out here in what is really love. He's talking about agape love, which might be a slightly more familiar word to us. It's an unchanging, self-giving, not demanding a response kind of love. In other words, um, the other three kind of require external connections. It's quite difficult, please don't let your minds wander, but it's quite difficult to have a sort of self-erotic love, careful. It's quite difficult to have a sort of sense of family on your own. It's quite difficult to have that brotherly love connection on your own, but it's very possible, in fact very likely, that this idea of agape love transcends all of that because I'm giving of myself regardless of what I get back. In fact, demonstrably not anything to do with what I get back. Now, does this remind you of anybody in the Bible whose name sounds like Jesus? Because um, Jesus is the most self-giving person. He doesn't expect anything back. He didn't die and get raised to life um, and then kind of sat waiting for us to do our part. He desperately wants us to do our part, but he would have done that regardless of whether anybody do- does, did, or didn't uh, respond to him at all. He just did it because he's loving. And there's a sort of agape love that he's asking of us too. You know, authentic agape love is essentially self-denial for the sake of another, which, do you know, has very little to do with how we feel and very much to do with how passionate we are for others. It's a kind of belief or an ethos about it that is not quite so reliant on feelings for action. Uh, Modern-day coaching, if it helps you to know this, um, kind of goes along similar lines. There's a, sort of, there's a growing body of evidence which says something like, if you wait till you feel like doing something, you're probably not going to do it. Uh, if you do something, the feelings will follow, funny enough. I think about like, people all about to do their GCSEs and yay. Um, like the, if I wait till I feel like revising, that might not happen, you know. But if I revise, get the ideas in my head... Uh, ready and prepared, I'm going to feel good. And there's, a, there's, I occasionally run. It's much less than I used to. Like quite like a little run out. Um, quite like my trainers that are called ons. And on the laces it says, "Put me on." It's like just put me on and go. Don't wait till you feel like it, and then the rest will flow. There's a sort of sense of that here with this idea of agape love. Don't wait till you feel like showing love. Show love. Don't wait till you think, okay, well, God, is it right or not right? Or I'm going to pray about whether it's right to show love. He says, just show the love. Phone them up, send a text, send a letter, do what it is, whatever it is that shows the love. Accept them, um, be gracious, be kind, be patient, don't envy, show the love. Don't wait till you feel like it. I don't feel very patient. Ah, well, be patient, says Agape Love. Don't really feel very kind. They're very annoying, Lord. Oh, I know they're very annoying, Phil. I made them. Uh, show the love. <laughs> show the love regardless. I feel really angry. I want to show my anger. Well, do you know what? You might need to temper that anger 
and instead show the love. That's agape love. It's not feelings orientated, really. Certainly as a propulsion, propulsion to action. Uh, agape love is acting regardless of feeling. In fact, really not feelings orientated. Seeking the best for others. There's a sort of uh, play on words here, apparently, that the word agony is rooted in the word agape. Uh, there's a sort of agony sometimes about showing love regardless. You know, I, I don't really want to do this. Oh, I'm a bit of agony. Uh, but I'm so keen and so, in some ways, uh, passionate about other people that I'm going to show the love anyway. Uh, and there comes from there as kind of inner peace, rather than sort of waiting for an external sense of whether we are good or bad or how we feel. Rather than waiting for others to respond and make us feel good, there's a kind of centering, a peace, it's an inner thing rather than an external thing. Uh, I love, in fact, the way that Peter, um, through his letters, expands on this. He's all, all his writing really is about being firm in our faith, which is perhaps no surprise for the chap who was called the rock. Uh, there's a firmness. There's a massive difference between being hard-hearted and firm in our faith. In fact, what agape love does is it creates a firmness. I'm building on agape love. I'm building in, in fact, agape love, which is all about being patient and kind and really kind of centered. It's an inner calm rather than an externally driven reaction. Uh, and I, again, I really enjoy that Peter, Peter conveys this idea that we're building on the rock um, you know, he's a fisherman. He spent plenty of time in stormy seas being tossed about by this and that and the other, jangling around the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure that's a phrase he never used. But like being blown around all over the place. And he says, no, 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 no. Agape love is a more centered, like Jesus calming the storm kind of love. I wonder, as I'm feeling a little jangled, whether that's because I'm pursuing the wrong kind of inputs, Am I seeking not a sort of centering based in love, but am I seeking external input and waiting for someone else to make me feel good rather than God who kind of resides within? It's an inner, not external thing. If, the, if a way to see our hearts melted is to repent, a way to see our uh, souls uh, at peace really is through prayer and a bit spending proper time with God. And again, at the risk of trotting out yet another repeat of how hard it is to remain in a kind of prayerful moment with God uh, with many distractions. I'm doing the same again to myself. We need to spend more time with him in a less jangly way and a more calm way. Easy to say. Uh, what does Jesus say about love? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's an agape love. And love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's quite tricky to do this without acting. It's a speculative thing. You can think about this later if you want to. Uh, but I just think it's hard to demonstrate this kind of love without action. Let's think about it like this. If, you, if you're in a partnership with somebody, I'm going to make the presumption at this moment that you love them, uh, and that's just for the sake of analogy, okay? I know things can get tricky sometimes, but let's just say you love them. Um, demonstrating that love takes action, doesn't it? Um, Rachel loves presents. 
right? So um, if I want to demonstrate, I'm just Rachel sitting there, so I'm a bit concerned. Um, if I want to demonstrate that I care about, love our partnership, our marriage, then it's quite a good idea for me to buy a present from time to time. One, in fact, that she quite enjoys, hopefully, uh, and one, in fact, that's well-timed, I hope, as in not a day after her birthday, because that's going to get me in trouble. It really is. Uh, a day before, maybe not so bad. Arguably, the day is quite good. There's a sort of sense of action, therefore, around love. If you've got good friends, you'll know that they're good friends because they'll communicate with you. They might invite you out to places. They might spend some time with you. There's action. I could go on and on. There's action within this idea of love, and it comes from a place of, of being self-secure. Not jangling around, but giving humbly to others. Loving your neighbor, therefore, requires a bit of action. Um, our neighbour came round yesterday and gave me a little plant back that their daughter had nicked. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it takes a bit of action sometimes. Uh, you might have some wonderful neighbours, you might have some terrible literal neighbours. In fact, in this context, we're all neighbours and everybody in our community is our neighbour. Uh, some of your neighbours are going to be lovely and nice and easy and they'll bring back a plant. Uh, others will not be quite so easy. Um, if they cut you up on the roundabout, that's your neighbour. Love them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or if, you, if you're following a very slow-trotting horse, you know, love that neighbor. Love that neighbor. Uh, if, they, if they're treating you poorly even, what does it mean to love them is a rhetorical question at this point. Jesus isn't asking that we suffer abuse, but he's saying love your neighbor, love your enemy even. That's difficult to do if we're relying on feelings, right? There's action that requires love. Our third idea, it's 11.38. I can just tell you the time. It doesn't make any difference to what I'm doing at all. Um, 11.38, uh, point three. Uh, this is all about the whole person, okay? The whole person. Love is, is thinking about the whole, not just parts. There's absolutely no accident that this whole passage that we're going to dwell on for a few weeks follows uh, Paul's almost desperate imploring of the Corinthian church to understand that they operate as a body. It's not just, I mean, as a church, they went down this path of saying, like, I am awesome because I speak in the tongues of angels and prophesy. You are not so awesome because you don't, kind of idea. And in fact, Paul's saying, no, it's, it's the whole body together. There is no hierarchy. Everything works together. Um, we sometimes watch this amazing TV program called Love at First Sight. Anyone seen it? It's really trash telly, but quite funny. Um, and this is where people um, who've never met uh, get married at literally first sight. It's married at first sight. So uh, they meet at the altar and get married. <laughs> and uh, the, oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with the head shaking, but I still watch, the, I do still watch it. Seductive telly. Um, now, what ends up happening is because the TV producers want us all to watch this stuff, uh, they create little exercises uh, one of which is to get these couples to describe which, what they like about each other and what they don't like. Um, and they'll say things like, I really like your eyes, or I really like your hair. In fact, love isn't like that, is it? You, you just can't pick out a part of somebody and say, I love that bit of you. It, it's all of it, or kind of none of it. I really love your eyes, but your hair's a mess, and your, your dress sense is terrible. Um, and you're always late and a bit, of a, bit annoying, well, I, 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 that's feedback, but maybe that's not love. Right? 
Um, so like what I think Paul is conveying here, and really what God's saying to us is it's the whole body that matters, the whole person. And let's move away from the physical body. That's a bit distracting. Think about beauty. He's saying it's the whole community of believers that matters. I love Shiloh Church for all of this, for every single man, woman, child, cat, dog, bird, whatever. We, you know, whatever uh, is part of our community, I love it all. It's everything. It's all of it. It's not, I love the middle here, yay, middle, but the balcony. It's, I love you all. In fact, you all function as part of of my community of believers in Guernsey. All of it. Uh, There's no best, worst, in, out, up, down, round, and round. It's all. Um, You can be a little left toenail, and that's as important as a whatever, an eye. Right? That's, That's the passage. And that's what love is. Um, as an individual, I love all of you, the whole of you, the whole person. Okay, there might be parts that aren't ideal. It's called sin. We're working on that. But love is everything. Um, I love my neighborhood because it's all, not some. Uh, God, I love you for all of who you are, not just a part of who you are. I might not get some of this Old Testament where people were smitten uh, and whole, whole like, hordes of people were killed. I don't get it, but I love you nonetheless. It's the whole person he's after. Love is a whole, whole thing. Um, Now, in our little community, to make this real, um, we might sometimes be tempted to say things like, there's that person there that I really find somewhat irritating, or other euphemistic words like that. They drive me crazy, uh, or some such, right? Um, Well, do you know what? We are going to live in eternity together, so (laughs) ha-ha. Unlucky you. Uh, we're gonna li- if we're going to live in eternity, we might as well ask God to open our eyes to see what he sees within our community. I'm not going to say we're all going to be best huggy buddies because that's a different kind of love. Right? I'm not going to say we're all going to marry each other, thank goodness for that, because that's a different kind of love again. Uh, I'm not going to say, in fact, that we're all going to be like a family together, albeit that that's a bit controversial. That's a different kind of love. What I am going to say is we're going to live in eternity together. Agape love says that is great news. God, help me to see in you and others and me what you see, the whole person. Open my eyes, Lord, despite my frustrations. And in fact, despite being frustrating, to see what you see. In other words, beauty is in the eye of God's beholder. He sees beauty where we sometimes don't. And that, you know, is the basis of therefore being kind, isn't it? I might be the most irritating person you've ever met. Surely not, you you cry. But nevertheless, if you start to see what God sees in me, you might be a little kinder and vice versa. Kindness and patient, not rude, not proud not self-seeking. It's God's eyes we're after. Melt our hearts, God, we repent. Settle us, Lord, we pray and spend time with you. And help us to help open our eyes that we see, we see beauty in the ways that you see beauty.